0: All right, let's talk a little bit about where we're going this summer. What is the vision? I love talking about vision because I do believe that without a clear, compelling vision, that people begin to drift from the mission of God. And so I think a lot about where are we going, what do I see, and there's so many different ways that we can talk about it. As I consider where we're going in the next few months, what I know we have to do is we have to consider where we've been. Right. Anytime you think about vision, where we're going, it's more than likely a part of this grand narrative uh, of what God's doing in the world, and then this sub-story of what God's doing in your life, which it's helpful to look at what's happened in your life. Well, you know, God began stirring in my heart in about 2004 to think about places in our world that there was a strong need for gospel proclamation, So in 2004, summer of 2004, I was college ministries pastor at a church, and I took a group of seniors to New York City to a new church. And what we were doing the entire week was we're inviting people from the streets to consider how this new church might be good for their lives. We did it in a whole variety of ways. I remember real clearly one thing that we did. We went out and we handed out postcards and we tried to engage people in the streets of New York City. I had never done anything like that in my life. I was really not very familiar with urban ministry, like inner city urban ministry, although I did live in Houston at the time, but there's a great difference between what happens in the suburbs in an urban setting. So here we are in New York City. I was standing on the street corner with Rachel Rothberg. It was Outlaw at the time, believe it or not, she was there. And we were handing out postcards to people. And it was in a moment like that that God began to raise my awareness that there are places in our world where there are people that don't know Jesus, aren't living with the hope of Jesus Christ, and there are very few, if any, Christians around them to invite them into the story of Jesus Christ, And so I became very stirred by that and passionate about that. I began to think a lot about that. I sensed an equity in church world where there are places where there are mega churches, mega resources, lots of good gospel proclamation, and then other places where it's like deplete of the gospel. And I believe that in Christ, God is restoring things to himself. And if I believe that, then I better think about the places where there's no witness of who Jesus Christ is because where there's no witness, there's no restoration. And so I became very passionate about that and I began to preach more and more about that and, and, um, and think about how I could send those that I was ministering to uh, into places where there were not, uh, a, was not a strong gospel witness. And then something incredible happened. God spoke to my heart and he said, I'm sending you. I'm sending you, Russell. A passage of scripture that meant a lot to me at that time and still does today is out of Luke chapter 10. So if you have your Bible, look in Luke chapter 10. This is a part in Jesus' public ministry where he has the purpose of sending out his followers, some of his closest followers, ahead of him into these villages. And they're going to go and declare that the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, God's going to work in a way that's unique and special, reconciling things to himself. And so he gathers this group of 72 people together and he tells them that I'm going to send you out two by two into these places. Now check this out, Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. In other words, I mean, that's a little strange to us. Very few of you have a garden, much less crops in your backyard. But in this day, when Jesus is saying these words, it would have been very familiar There is a great resource of opportunity, but there are very few people willing or able to go get that. So the problem isn't the need for work. The problem is the need for workers. So he says, pray to God that he would send out people to work the harvest. And then he really encourages them in verse 3. He says, go your way, behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. There's a sense of urgency to what he's saying. What I'm sending you to do will not be easy. Have you ever felt like your Christian faith is difficult to live out? That's why sometimes people claim the name of Christ, but there's no works Related to that in public, at least, because it can be difficult to represent Christ, especially if you're in an area, workplace, a neighborhood where it's opposed and resisted. And in our day, it's not that Christianity is resisted, in this city at least, it's that you trying to convince or give a compelling case for it, that's resisted, right? Because just chill out, man, that's for you and I got my own thing going on. What Jesus is saying to these very first disciples, I'm sending you out, it's going to be difficult. Carry no money bag, I'm going to provide for you. No knapsack, I'm going to provide for you. No sandals, go urgently, minimally, greet no one on the road. In other words, you have got to get after it. And whatever house you enter first say, peace be to this house. So this began to stir in my heart in those days prior to the planting of this church. I didn't know exactly where to begin, but I knew I needed to obey. So I began researching places in the world, actually. I didn't even think about Houston at first, because Houston has, uh, from what I've heard, 4,000 plus churches. So we considered really strange places like Dubai, looked at going to Dubai to plant a church. Among English-speaking people there, one-third of the world's Construction cranes are in Dubai. It's developing, lots of money, lots of opportunity, lots of lostness. We also looked at cities like Seattle and Chicago and San Diego. And what would happen was I would literally, we, Jeannie and I would save up a couple hundred dollars, which was tough, especially in those days. We'd save up a couple hundred dollars. I'd get on a plane. I'd fly to those places. And I would just go to what I found was a popular coffee shop. I'd sit in it and I'd say, okay, God, is this the place you want me to plant a church? Now, if you ever consider planting a church, that's a really dumb strategy. But, you know, that's all I knew to do. I would sit in these coffee shops and I would say, okay, God, is this the place? And I would look around just waiting for somebody to say to me, hey, we've been waiting for you. Here's a million dollars. God stirred our hearts, most of all at that time for San Diego. I began to build partnerships and had a network of growing people that were wanting to be a part there and also from here. And I was in San Diego standing in a house that I didn't have enough money to rent, but I knew God would provide for. And God spoke to my heart these words, Houston needs new churches. And what I realized is that there are a lot of lost people in the shadows of these 4,000 churches. And that the place of greatest need in our city is Interloop. without a doubt. So, a short time later... Jeannie and I packed up our house without saying much to anybody. We moved into the only home we could find that was big enough that we could rent, and it was a dump at the time, with a very simple vision. We wanted to live near the people we were going to try to reach with the gospel. We didn't tell anybody we were planting a church because I didn't really know if I wanted to because, frankly, I was on staff at a church where I had to show up, preach a message, kiss a few babies, sign a few autographs, and go home. I knew that the work of church planting would be hard. But God had sent us into the city, so we moved into this house. We began building relationships with people that were far from God. And all of a sudden, something incredible get, began to happen in people that we knew who also were Christ followers. People like Andrew and Susan, David and Cindy, John and Christy, uh, John and Kristen, Jesse and Brittany. God began stirring in their hearts, and there are others of you that are a part of that group. In the very early days, hey, we want to be a part of proclaiming the gospel in word and deed in the inner city of Houston where there's great need. So we began gathering together and praying and dreaming about church planting. And I like to tell the story that in the very early days, before we really knew whether or not we wanted to plant a church, I would call John and Jesse up, and it would just be like really random times at night. I would call them up like 9 o'clock, and Jesse, you know, hello. I'd say, hey, Jesse, I'm coming to get you. Get your clothes on you can wear house shoes, whatever you wanna do, get in the truck and I'd go get John and we we would drive around the neighborhood and we would just pray, God, is this the place you're sending us? Is this the village for us for this season of our lives as a part of your great grand plan to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ? We had a fledgling group of people Some new Christ followers, they began to gather in my living room. And I remember this one evening, a group of 16 people gathered in my living room. And I knew this group of 16 people needed a pastor. So we began talking about, does God want us to plant a church? What do you think? And it was an overwhelming, absolutely, whatever God will do in us, we fully accept. And we want to step out on faith. We want to shine the light of Christ In the areas, in the neighborhoods, on the streets of the inner city of Houston. We had no money. I tell people that story all the time. When I resigned from my job, I had no money for church planting. Zero. All I asked them was to give me two weeks. Just give me two weeks and I just, but I knew God was going to, I knew it. At the time I had three kids. Since planting the church, and sometimes I forget, but just three weeks prior to launching this church, we had our fourth kid, which is why I look so tired. (laughs) So God took something that was unthinkable, and he's begun something that's no doubt in my mind the beginning of a movement. We decided, though we had no money Our hearts were filled with love for people and a desire to obey the command of Jesus Christ found in Matthew chapter 28. If you're in Luke, flip back to the book of Matthew chapter 28. These are some of the last words of Jesus when he gives a command to his disciples. And he says this. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So as long as there are people who do not walk with Jesus and are not yet restored to the King of kings and Lord of lords, you have work to do. I've heard recently from somebody connected to our church, these words. Russell, it seems like all that we talk about is reaching people outside the church. It seems like you're so focused on people that don't yet know Jesus. And when they were saying that, they were in some ways trying to be critical of me. But I, you could never ever in your life be say something that would feel better to me. Because as a church, we care about people outside the church, people who do not yet know Jesus. This is a part of your sanctification, you experiencing the love of Christ in such a powerful way that it compels you to share it with others. We are, in fact, doing the thing that Jesus said we're supposed to do, And the fact that for any church, it would be abnormal to care about lostness, that's a problem. So our church, this group of 16, began to meet on Sunday nights starting in August of 2010. I was still on staff at my previous church. We went from 16 people in the living room to 30 people in a restaurant nearby. Joe Massa, who's here, allowed us to meet in his restaurant and We met there and we just dreamt together and prayed together. And we asked this question, what kind of church are we going to be? And after much prayer, Jeannie and I, along with several others, stepped out on faith to start gathering on Sunday mornings weekly at the YMCA downtown. That was in about January of 2011. We began gathering in that. And I'll never forget in the midst of that transition, I got a lot of encouraging advice from people. Things like this. You're stupid. You're leaving a church with thousands of people to meet in a YMCA with 50? Another. Do you know how hard it will be a plant to plant a church in this economy? I said, "Well, I guess if it works, then God did it." You know, Russell, you have a family to provide for. You're an idiot. <laughs> But God began to do miracles. We experienced in the three years that we gathered downtown, many lives impacted by the gospel. The first person baptized in our church was my oldest son, Kobe. And then many more have believed. Some of you have come to Christ in those days. Also worth celebrating is that in those three years, for some of you that helped us start the church, you begin to understand the command of Christ in Matthew chapter 28. Christianity is not a place we go on Sundays. It's who we are every day of our lives. And it matters when people are outside of Christ. We ought to arrange our lives and organize our lives to show them the love of God as demonstrated through Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. We care deeply for that. So I commend those of you that have stayed with this mission. I thank God for you. So all along the way, we've cared deeply for what God has been doing in this city, not just in our church gathering. As an example, I began building partnerships with other guys planting churches inside the loop. When we first planted, I knew of only about two other guys inside the 610 loop. And now I have the privilege of convening a group of about 28 guys who are planting churches inside the loop. And what we get to do together is encourage one another, pray for one another, and talk about all that God's doing in our little fledgling churches. You are a part of that. We as a community of faith over the course of the last few years have care deeply for what God is doing among the unreached people groups in the world, places like Africa and Ecuador. We have a team on the ground working there to share the gospel, and we're seeing thousands and thousands and thousands of people come to Christ because of the work of those people that we support. We care deeply about what happens in Ecuador Particularly through the work of Compassion International. Many of you sponsor kids in Ecuador, and we are going to send another team in this next year, or either the fall or the spring, so that you can visit your kids you sponsor through Compassion International. We've partnered with missionaries, and we're seeing rapid multiplication. This is what God has done. We've been a church for the city. Probably a year before moving into this building, I met with the principal of this school and I had one question, what is your vision? And the second question, how can we support it? Little did I know that God would eventually open up a door for us to gather here for our weekly worship. I would never have guessed when I asked him that first question. And I'll never forget in April of 2014, just a little over a year ago, I told the church that the leadership believes that God is sending us to a new location. We're gonna move into the near town neighborhood And we're going to plant ourselves and continue to be about the multiplication of the gospel and loving people in the name of Jesus Christ. But something miraculous had to happen. See, I brought to the church at the end of April of 2014 that we needed $75,000 to make this move. Now, keep in mind, at that time, our church community was only given about $15,000 a month to the work of God through our people. I knew it was a big ask. And when I stood before those people, I knew it was a lot of money, but I knew that if God wanted us to do it, God would provide for it, which has happened through the entire life of our church. We were asking God to flow his wealth through people in just four weeks. We needed a miracle. As long as I live, I'll never forget that first Sunday in June when I stood before our people and announced that God had provided $91,000. The most exciting of which was about $356 given by the kids of our church who took money from their own piggy banks to give to God for this mission. You're a part of something. In the past year, we've seen God do incredible things. Many of you are new to this church, even since we moved to this new location. Some of you are visiting today simply because of where we are located. I thank God for your partnership in the gospel. I hope those of you that are new will get a sense of what God is doing in the midst of your attendance here, and you will get excited about being a part. You know, at Neartown Church, we don't have members in the traditional sense. When I think of membership, I think of being a member of River Oaks Country Club, where I go, I pay a fee, I get a service, I come when I I want, I go when I want, all of that kind of stuff. But as a church, we discovered in Philippians chapter one when Paul was thanking the Philippians for their partnership in the gospel, that following Christ in community was more about mission partnership, not membership. So we call our members mission partners. We believe that God is sending us, partnering us together for the work to glorify himself and to make disciples. This is where we've been, and the big question is, where are we going? It's interesting to ask this question because I want to think real clearly about it. In the fall of 2010, where we had 30 people meeting in a restaurant, one of the things we did is we asked the question, what kind of church do we want to be? And we developed what we call a vision frame. And I want to really briefly help you to understand how we frame the question, where are we going? I won't say everything I could about these things This is something that I typically talk more about in our mission partner prep. Four questions that we seek to answer to frame the question, where are we going? Which helps inform where we're going beyond the horizon, where we're going in the next three years, one year, and then even the next four months. First of all, the question, what are we doing? Look at that. How about that frame there? What are we doing? Our mission is inviting busy people to experience the peace of life With Jesus Christ we are inviting busy people to experience the peace of life with Jesus Christ John chapter 14 verse 27 the passage that Andrew read earlier Jesus says these words peace I leave with you my peace I give to you not as the world gives do I give it to you let not your hearts be troubled neither let them be afraid we believe that God wants to move people from having busy, chaotic hearts, maybe even busy, chaotic lives, to being people who experience the peace of life with Jesus Christ. That's our mission. Well, we must be anchored in this mission, so we must ask the question, well, why are we doing it? We have four stated values as a church. We value new relationships, which is why we talk a lot about inviting people that don't yet know Jesus we, we value new relationships. If you're new and you're here, we prioritize you in the midst of what we're doing on a Sunday morning. We care deeply that you feel warmly welcomed, that you feel like this is an environment that you'd want to be a part of. We care about your needs and building new relationships with you. We encourage people to connect outside the walls of the church so that relationships can be developed, which leads to our second value stated, everyday connections. The church is something more than just this. I mean, this is where we gather and worship happens and song and you're equipped in this kind of a setting, but we believe that the community of faith is about everyday connections. We try to organize and facilitate connections among you all every single day. We also value radical generosity. I like to say in the early days of the church, we had $5,000 in the bank. There was a need that came to us of a family, multiple children who was about to lose their home because they could not make a payment on our mortgage. The leadership came together and we felt compelled by the Spirit of God to give them a big chunk of that $5,000. Why? Because we value radical generosity and God has blessed every since. We also value global impact. We care not only about what God's doing in this city, we care about other cities in the United States. One of the things that I've begun doing is with the help of other leaders in our church is sort of identifying other cities, major cities in the United States where there's a need for church planting and begin to build partnerships in those places. I was in Denver this week for three days to do that. We also care about what's happening on the other side of the world. We have a work in Africa and Ecuador. We're beginning to have conversations about a church pl- with a church planner in Glasgow, Scotland. There are places in the world that we care deeply for. Many of you have a heart for places in the world. There's people in our community that care deeply for what's going on in Israel. Others, what's happening in other parts of Africa. And we care as a church about having a global impact. We believe we want to be a part of something that's bigger than just this. Although this is great. <laughs> Well, we must have a strategy, so how are we going to do it? The other side of the frame is asking that question, our strategy. We have a very simple strategy, two big ideas, connect, restore. Double-click on connect, you have connect to God, connect to others. So we organize, as a church, this setting so that you can connect with God through worship and the teaching of God's word. We also organize opportunities for you to connect with others. We think it's very important for all of you to take a step into a home group, which is a smaller group gathering that happens during the week. And what happens in there, frankly, is better for your Christian discipleship than even what happens in here, the learning opportunity and experience in there. Connect to God, connect to others. Gathering on Sunday morning and then home groups during the week. And there are other connect to others opportunities too. Other part of our strategy, which is focusing on people outside the church, is restore. Restore local, restore global. Here's an opportunity to restore local. We have a partnership with this, church, this school. We care deeply for the principal, the faculty of the school, and certainly the 600-plus kids that attend here. And this Wednesday night, they're having a teacher appreciation banquet. I'm going to be here. They've asked me to do an invocation, which is really incredible if you think about that. I'm going to be praying at the beginning of a banquet in a public school in the center of the city. I also would like for a few of you to come with me. 6.30 Wednesday night, I want for you to show up, and what we're gonna do is just love on and warmly embrace these teachers and say, we love you, we appreciate you, we're with you, we support you. If you wanna be a part of that, then you just put on your info card, hey, I wanna be a part of the Wednesday night teacher appreciation banquet. That's an example of how we believe in Restore Local. There's other things that we're involved in. There's people in our community that care about the issue of human trafficking in our city and and are getting involved in that. There are opportunities for us to help those that are in the margins, those that are living on the streets. We help those in that community also. We care deeply about Restoring Local and also Restoring Global, which I've mentioned some of our work globally. Well, the real question is, on the other side of the frame, is how do we know when we're successful? Churches typically measure success in three ways, attendance, building, and cash. We said, although that's something we have to look at and think about, because if you don't have an atten- any t- anybody coming, any money, <laughs> any place to meet, you've got a problem, we don't want that to be the primary metric. And this is a distinctive about our church. We said, how will we measure whether or not the mission is being accomplished in the lives of people? We came up with eight ideas. I want to list these briefly and then move forward. Connected, learning, generous, passionate, free, loving, reaching, and praying. If you were to come to me and you were to say, hey, how do you think I'm doing as a part of this mission? Is the mission being accomplished in my life? We would sit down and I would just talk about each one of these. I said, do you feel connected? Is there someone in this community of faith that you could call at two o'clock in the morning and talk about spiritual things? Are you learning? Do you know more about the gospel and God's word than you did two months ago, three months ago, four months ago? Are you generous? Are you giving? For some of you, that's the biggest hang up. It's one reason that Jesus talks about possessions more than any other one thing in the gospels is because money, material things is the greatest inhibitor to spiritual growth. That's why we tend sometimes to disobey God in this area of giving. Are you being generous? Passionate? Is there anything that brings a tear to your eye? Free. Is there anything that enslaves you? Is the gospel that you received a works-based gospel? Loving, are you loving people? Reaching, are you reaching people that are far from God? And praying, how often do you talk to God? If you're growing in those eight areas, we are fully convinced that we are in fact accomplishing the mission that God has sent us out to. Well, these four questions frame the question, that we really are seeking to answer this morning for the summer. Now, when I talk about where we're going, I want you to imagine uh, a journey. And thinking about looking through this frame beyond the horizon, Like it's so far out that we can't even really decide how to talk about it. Beyond the horizon, what I see, what we see is that our community of faith will be a spark for Christ-centered restoration in interloop neighborhoods. What does that look like? I'm not exactly sure, but I know it's out there. God has done some really, some really incredible things in the history of our church and that have sparked us to move forward. We believe that we get to be a spark of Christ-centered restoration in interloop neighborhoods. Well, if you looked a little closer... Three, three years, say, down the road. What are the big ideas? Like, what's the background to the big ideas? Well, what we see is a fully developed church planning training residency, which has as a part of it a preaching development program that includes some of you get to participate in. Next Sunday, Matt Parrish, one of our mission partners, not on staff, is going to be bringing a sermon. He's been trained in our preaching residency. We care about raising up people who will be leaders in God's church. I also see in three years multiple locations for near town mission partners to gather for worship. We have a budding vision for a work on the east side of downtown. We see global partnerships for restore global initiatives being developed. Some of you, God has brought here so that you can lead some of those initiatives. We see in three years something that's hard to really measure, but I believe is true that this community of faith will have such a strong witness that if we were not here, the neighborhood would miss it. But to get to three years, we've got to think about getting to the end of this year, right? (laughs) In January of this year, I laid out a little bit of a milestone for us to think about achieving, and that is that we want, in this year, 80 people in real, authentic relationships for intentional discipleship. We care about discipleship. If you want the biggest show in town, there are other churches that will do it way better than us. No offense to Lawrence, she did a great job. There are preachers in this city that have a lot more flash. I've tried to get into some skinny jeans and it ain't pretty. <laughs> what we care deeply about is intentional, authentic relationships where we are honest with one another. We confess our brokenness. You will not find in this church A pastor who's unwilling to admit, hey, I am flawed, I'm imperfect. I struggle just like you do. We have, as a milestone for this year, 80 people in real authentic relationships. And right now we're at about 50. To get there, we must think about the next four months. And I want to briefly give you these. Something that you can do in the next four months as a part of what God's doing in the life of our church. In the next four months, we need to strengthen our teams. With Andrew's departure from the staff, we certainly have to think about strengthening our staff, but really what we want to think about is in the next four months, everyone's serving on a team. If you're new to this church, just so you know, it is less likely than likely that you are going to feel comfortable coming to this church for a long period of time and not put your hands on something serving on a team. I think it's a beautiful thing. It's a way you can connect. You are admitting when you put your hand on a curtain or a pole if you're on the setup and tear down team or on a knob in the back if you're on the A V team or shaking somebody's hand in the front, when you put your hands on those things, it's a way that you're admitting this church isn't about me. I had to preach right there. Come on, people. We're gonna strengthen our teams this summer. I'm gonna focus on it. We've organized what we call a leadership pipeline where we're strengthening every a level of leadership in our church and hoping to build a staff to strengthen all of our teams and our people for the sake of accomplishing the mission. A second thing we want to do in the next four months is we want everyone inviting. So there are 13 weeks until our next Vision Sunday. And in those 13 weeks, I wanna challenge you to do something 10 times. So you get three weeks off. You forget, you're on vacation, whatever. Whatever. Here's what I want you to do at least once. If you come to church, invite somebody. Invite somebody. If you have a home group, invite somebody. One time, one time a week, totaling 10 times in the next 13 weeks. Or here's something that may be the most powerful of all the things that we do to invite people. If you have a place, you live in an apartment or you have a home, invite somebody to it. What I've learned about our day, though, in the city is that it's a greater jump to just invite somebody into your home for a meal than it used to be. And so as a bridge to that, one thing that we have learned about is block parties. So a couple months ago, we had a block party. We just invited our block and the block behind. People came over. We Shared a meal together. It was all in the front yard so they don't have to like get weirded out about coming inside my house. A block party. Just two weeks ago, Jesse had a block party, Jesse and Brittany, for the people that are living around him. And he said it was a great success. Neartown provided the food for it and a couple of games So it's not about Neartown Church providing a block party. It's about you providing a block party that we as a community of faith will come around and support. And it's not about the name of Neartown Church. It's about your witness in those places, building relationships with people. So invite somebody to your place. And then from that, invite somebody to your kitchen table. Do Do it three times. I wouldn't expect you to have 10 block parties. One block party would be huge, Inviting somebody to your home three times over the course of the entire summer. Set that out. I'm going to do it. I hope you will too. So, everyone serving, everyone inviting, these are very tangible things that we can do, and everyone learning. So, this summer, what I'm going to be doing for our summer series is I'm going to be teaching through 1 John with the help of some of those that have been in our preaching clinic. I'm going to be teaching through 1 John this series called A Better Life. There you go as you think about inviting somebody to church. Just say, hey, my church is doing a series this summer called A Better Life. Do you want a better life? No? Okay, cool. Do you want, you know, yeah, of course you want a better life. Come and just, just be a part of this. You can come sit in the back. No one's, it's an hour long, something like that, R15. A Better Life. This is where we're going. How are we going to get to the place beyond the horizon where we are spark for restoration in these inner loop neighborhoods? How are we going to do it? Well, it starts with this summer, you inviting somebody to church so simple. That's the vision. That's what we're gonna do. I hope you'll walk with me this summer in that way. I wanna end my talk before we take communion together by just telling you a story of a way in which God has impacted so many in our church. I asked them if they're gonna be here today and fortunately they've gotten ill so they're not gonna be here today but it's a story of Brian and Bridget Cummings. I live near here on Vassar, just a block south of 59, 59 and Hazard. And um, we wanted to think of a way of meeting our neighbors. So we had a block party. This has been about two summers ago. Put some mailers. We actually went door-to-door door- door knocking, inviting people. I took my kids. They're cute. So people kind of warmed up to us, you know. Oh, yeah, sure, I'll come. This seems fun and innocent. We invited our neighbors. We had probably 75, maybe 100 people come to our front yard. And we're all hanging out there. And I'm trying to look like non-pastory. You know, that's the thing. It's like a real buzzkill on the conversation. Like, hey, man, what do you do? Like, I'm a pastor. Most people are like, okay, see you later. <laughs> we're sitting there and we're around the tables and Brian and Bridget live at the end of the block and for three years every time they drive by I try to wave at them I'm like wave guy I'm gonna be friendly neighbor guy occasionally they'll drive by roll down their window how's it going we'll talk we'll chat it up well they came to the block party we're sitting there in the middle of the afternoon the neighbors are around the kids are playing on the bounce house and Brian asked me the question so what is it that you do dramatic pause. I thought, here it goes. I'm going to cross this line with all my neighbors. I said, well, I pastor a church that's uh, a new church in the city that's really about providing a place for people that don't have one, don't have a church. And he said, what? You're kidding me. And I was trying to think of myself, like all the things that I'd done, like why I'd be surprised that I was a pastor? You know, I had not yet flipped him the bird when you walked by or anything like that. He said, you never guess what, my wife and I just last night were on the computer because we feel like we need to connect with God. We don't know how to do it. He said, I'll be at your church tomorrow morning. And I was thinking to myself, like, I was like, yeah, right. Sure enough, they show up, they hear the gospel, they receive it. And their lives have been changed. Brian and Bridget are two people that have done, been successful. They've had their ups and downs. They've struggled. They actually were coming out of a season of struggle when I met them. And they could not, in their own resource, take care of themselves. And they needed something more powerful than themselves so that their lives would not be wasted. They met Jesus. thinking about the story of Brian and Bridget is so incredible to me and it makes every effort to lift my hand, to wave at my neighbor worth it when I see Brian now if you ever see us together there's one thing that you'll always notice he always kisses me on the cheek it's strange sounding maybe on the surface but I'm reminded of the passage and it was strange the first time he did it I'll be honest But there's a passage that says greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, do not try to kiss me after the service. These are the kinds of stories that whenever in 2000, December of 2010, I left all that was familiar and safe to live in a place where God knew God was sending us. These are the kinds of stories that I dreamt about. And here we are. I know you want to be a part of what God's doing in the world, and you say, What do I do? Here's what you do. This summer, invite 10 people to church. Or invite somebody ten times. Invite somebody into your home for a meal three times. Be faithful when you're not vacationing and that's wonderful. Do that, rest, all that. Be faithful to come and gather with the church so you can be strengthened by God's word as we walk through first John. And then put your hands on something. Put your hands on a handshake as a part of the host team. Put your hands on loving a child in the back as a part of our kid city. Put your hands on one of these drapes or something on the audiovisual components of what we do. Put your hands on something. We need to strengthen our team so that we can serve people the gospel of Jesus Christ.